All right, well, that was just wonderful. I know my, my heart's blessed. So at this time, I invite you to, I guess you could even grab a snack if you wanted to, um, but uh, open our Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, and the, the title uh, of the message, and I guess the main, main point that we'll be getting across this morning is it's always about Jesus, right? It's always, always about Christ. So I'm just going to pray, and we'll ask the Spirit to move, we'll ask and let's just remember that, uh, yes, I've studied this through this week, uh, but I'm simply leading the listener into deeper study themselves. Right? I don't want to do this for you, right? And that's part of um, maybe why, why sometimes we've got to go a little bit longer or we've got to read a little bit more text, but, but simply placing what's going on so that God and the Holy Spirit can, can speak to you. And I guess that would be my plea even this morning. Don't let me do the work for you. Don't let me, don't let me be the, the Holy Spirit for you. This is, this is uh, you and the Lord together over this text. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I do pray that you would use me. Lord, I pray that, well, I thank you that you, you've put me in a place where, where I'm able to study these truths. Lord, I thank you for how you you speak to my heart, and I thank you for how you lead me to pray for, for my church family. Lord, I thank you for these messages that you give me. Lord, I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would use me as I, I lead the people before you. And I pray that you would speak in a powerful way. Lord, that uh, our Mondays would look different because we've, we've been before you. We, we've worshipped, we've, we've, we've been in your word. I pray for a hunger. And I pray that um, you would just honor, honor this time. And I pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Well, John chapter 12, and, and we've been in Luke the last couple weeks, and, and I keep, kept saying the goal is John chapter 12. And I think I even promised last week that that's where we would end up, and, and here we are. Uh, we're, we're, we're still aiming for the triumphal entry and this would be the, the, the last that we'll touch on. There's a number of chronological events that all take place that coincide, and uh, we don't quite have time uh, to go through all of that. But this one really touched on my heart. It's, 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 it's a really, really humbling text. And as John writes this gospel, we remember the purpose from John 20, 31, right? These things are written that you may believe, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And why is this so important? Is because it was being contested, right? And here we have in the Gospel of John the, the theology of what we believe, the theology of, of who Jesus is. And as John is writing these words, uh, John's remembering the tension because right? keep, I keep referring to that rubber band. He's about to enter into Jerusalem. And there's, there's a, a number of things that we'll see this morning. And that tension uh, could not be missed. And as we grasp the context this evening, right, we, we will see that tension uh, through our Bible studies. And, and we're working through Matthew 12. Jesus was continually presenting the two kingdoms colliding. Because right? this isn't just flesh and blood here. 
Right? Matthew 12 talks about the, the strong man being bound. It's, it's, it's Christ offering the kingdom and Satan's kingdom ruling the world. And we see that in today. Right? So John remembers the tension. John remembers the, the two kingdoms clashing. I mean, it's very evident. But he also recognizes as he's watching religion, Judaism, protecting itself at all costs. And that's what religion does. Right? It preserves itself. There's a, there's a cult mentality. But most importantly, and, and this is where we'll end up uh, with this message, we'll watch as John learns just a sad, sad thing takes place in this room. And that sad thing isn't Mary worshiping at the feet of Jesus. That sad thing is the response of the apostles. We're going to watch as, as John learns, oh, it's always about Jesus. Right? Our eyes this morning, this evening, wherever, wherever we are in that, our eyes have to be open to the fact that it's always about Christ. Everything is always about Christ. So let's just begin by, by reading the text here, John chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. It says, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. Right? We remember that's a couple miles outside of Jerusalem, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. Right? So instantly, John starts this chapter with a real-life miracle. There they made him supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with fragrance of oil. And we'll just, we'll just touch on that very quickly. This spikenard, it was just a, a herbal, um, i trying to think how it was said, herbal aromatic uh, oil made of, of roots and stems from a herb uh, that, that is found in northern India. Right? And I just humor, I call it the smelly stuff. Right, the, the, the fancy smelly stuff. I wasn't raised with um, fancy smelly stuff. But uh, anyhow... But one of his disciples, verse 4, Judas Iscariot, uh, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Verse 6 is almost like a parenthesis, right? Because it's, it's John reflecting um, 50 years, right, after this event took place, right? This, he said, in parenthesis, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. Verse 7, But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Well, there's a, a lot in this text, but let's begin by making some observations and asking some very good questions here. Come up with me to verse 2. Right where it says, there they made him a supper. Well, ask the question, where is the there? Well, this, in order to find that passage, or find that answer, uh, we need to turn to Matthew chapter 26 and Mark 14. We'll do that a little bit later, but, but we will discover in those chapters that this is the house, the there is at Simon the leper's house. Right, and Simon the leper, we don't know much about him other than he was obviously a leper. <laughs> right? it, uh, 
He was obviously a leper. Perhaps this man encountered Jesus like so many others by faith. Right? Perhaps this man in his affirmity came and, and by faith Jesus touched him and he was miraculously touched and healed by God's chosen, anointed, sent one. If we continue with our observations here. You notice there that the house is Simon the leper in verse 2 and you see that Martha served. Another attempt at humor. Um, any gentleman that would allow another woman free reign in the kitchen, they must have been somewhat acquainted <laughs> as Martha serves and makes the meal and, 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 and serves the apostles, right? Another observation as we look at this verse, we find Martha once again serving, right? And that, that is a, a reflection of, of God-given talent, I mean, this is a reflection of her personality. I mean, she was wired. This was her love language. This is how, how she, she functioned and, and served Jesus. There she was always serving. We, we think of even with our New Testament gifts, with the Spirit who dwells in us, right? The, the hospitality gift. We recognize those people in our churches, and it's a beautiful thing to watch as God uses them. And then we find Lazarus in this verse. Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him, right? Then all of a sudden, you start realizing there are two miracles sitting at this table. All of a sudden, things start getting, with the observations, things start getting very, very interesting. And, and as we, before we move on, I'd just like to draw three significant things that, that God showed me this week as I studied. Number one, it would be as, as we recognize that the Simon the leper um, his home, him being present, and, and Lazarus sitting at the table, we have two real-life miracles present. Right? I mean, not just, a, not just a casual thing. I mean, Lazarus was dead for three days. These guys watched Jesus raise him from the dead. If that's not a, what I was thinking, a faith moment, I don't know what is. You've got a leper that's healed, and you've got a dead man that was raised sitting at the table, and you're having a meal with him. I thought to myself, how important is it for them to recognize this faith moment? Each one of these guys would be tested just, just, just to the, the extreme, right? And we see them running from the garden uh, and abandoning Jesus. We see, we see Peter denying there. And yet here they are in a room, sitting around a table with two supernatural miracles before them for their faith. I thought to myself, how often we miss our own faith moments, our own miracles, our own things that God has placed before us so that our faith solidifies, right? So our faith finds that ground so that, so that we find that, that, that place where that foundation is not going to be moved because I, I have seen God's hand at work. I have recognized and God has affirmed me. I think of that again, uh, the, the idea of writing in your Bibles that proven beside those verses that you've seen God faithful in. Faith moments prepare us for faith testing. And, and if nothing else in this COVID era and, and the, the, the churches and, and us interacting in the world, we know our faith is being tested. Right? We know that we're being challenged and if we think it's hard now, wait till after. Wait till after. And I encourage you, as, as you're thinking, as you're reading through these and you're recognizing faith moments, keep, keep a diary. Keep a journal of God's hand at work now. 
Right? See God's hand at work. See what God's doing. Recognize those conversations as the Spirit's moving because those are what are going to help us through the difficult times of testing. Right? I'm going to need support. You know, we're all going to need support. And we need, we need just to be reminded of those faith moments. Secondly, observation and, and still from, from this scene and, and even more so from verse 2 we see an example of, of spiritual support and preparation right as the disciples are gathered around Jesus and we know through our culture books that they reclined as they ate right and you see Mar- Martha serving the meal we see them gathered right we see them together right and as we <laughs> I get in some reactions um, they're together. They're, there's the support. I mean, and we're going we're gonna to see this as we, well, why don't we read in verse 57 of chapter 11, just before the chapter, there's a price on Jesus' head, right? The, the tension, that rubber band. Now, both the chief priests and Pharisees had given the command that if anyone knew where he was, where Jesus was, he should report it that they might seize him, right? There was tension and, and I mean, if the, the, if the, the apostles, uh, they needed that support. I don't want to get too far ahead because Jesus, was, Jesus gave them the full picture of what they, were going to, what they were going to face. But here we see a group, the future church leaders, they've come together. Right? They're making spiritual preparations. This is like the calm before the storm. And we see them together. And I think to myself, as we study through, through the book of Acts, this is what the church would have to do time and time again. They would have to come together and encourage one another, spiritually prepare for Satan's attacks, right? For the things that the world is, is I called it world developments, because I mean, there's no real way to define it anymore, right? But as Satan's attacks and the world developments take place, we find the church gathered, we find the church praying, and we find the church spiritually preparing, I think to myself, this isn't just something that us deacons do. This isn't just for church leadership. This is what the church is to do, right? And this is what our prayer meetings are for, right? That preparing, that, that, that remembering, that making sure that no one falls down through the cracks. That's what our Bible studies are for, putting on the armor of God. The church, as you watch these believers gather, and I mean, we are on the verge of one of the darkest moments in human history, and we see them together preparing because together is the body of Christ. That's the safe place. The world and its distractions, Satan's tactics, that's out there. But when the believers gather, that is the safe place. That's where the preparations, preparations um, take place for that. Third observation, and then we'll move on from this. The, the, the scene is them sitting around the table, Martha serving. You've got two miracles sitting there. We're going to see as we continue. I asked the question, what is this meal for? Maybe not so much, what is this meal for? Who is this meal for? It's almost the, the triumphal entry is going to be next, and from there, the, the step-by-step trials, right? The, the six trials, we're going to see the, the, the Calvary take place, burial, resurrection. Mary is anointing him for burial who is this supper for? Right, what, what, what is the focus? And, and, and we're back to the title of this message. It's always about Jesus. 
But we he see here, and we're going to look as they respond, missing the spiritual intimacy that Mary is showing, we're going to see the disciples miss the memo that this supper was about Jesus. Right? Even the apostles on the verge, again, of the darkest moment of humanity, they're, they're so busy thinking about themselves. They're self-absorbed. Right? They're so busy thinking about what they would do, what, what, what she should do. I mean, it, it, you don't see that focus on Christ. And that's one of the biggest dangers for believers, right? When you, when you get your eyes off of Christ, when, when you, all of a sudden there you, you find yourself dwelling on yourself, you see Satan find his way in. And there's only, other one, uh, there's only one explanation for how these men would criticize and, and say what Mary was doing is a waste. There's only one, one explanation. That was Satan had found his way into that room. It wasn't just Judas under attack here. I want you to think about the supper being for Jesus. Why don't we often think about the support that Jesus needed during this time? Right, the support that Jesus needed during this time. Our theology tells us that he was fully God, but Jesus was also fully man. Right, Jesus was fully man so that he could represent humanity on the altar. Right? Jesus became God Emmanuel, God in the flesh, God, God with us. He, he became humanity so he could die on that cross for the sins of the world. Jesus, fully God, fully man, took on humanity, God incarnate. He took on humanity so that he could experience every emotion. I think we know what that is today, emotion. Jesus took on humanity to experience every thought, every struggle, every temptation, so that he could relate with you and me in every way. In every way. As Jesus advocates, 1 John 2, as Jesus represents, as Jesus uh, places us before the Father, right, in 1 John chapter 2, as Jesus, he he understands what we're going through. He understands our thoughts. He understands our emotions. He can relate with us in every way. As Jesus comes alongside in that paracletus, as he comes alongside and gives us the power that we need, he knows what we need. He knows how much we need. He knows our next step. And I just wrote down this there. Whatever it is, Jesus knows. Whatever's going on in your life, Jesus knows. And I think to myself there, as the humanity of Jesus is in that meal, the, the disciples were not focused on Jesus at this point. They missed this memo. And if we were completely honest with ourselves, I think we would admit that we'd probably find ourselves doing the same thing. When it comes to life, right? when it comes to life, isn't it, isn't it most of the time about me? When it comes to situations, isn't it most of the time about, about you know, not necessarily getting my way, but, but preserving me, right? And if this would just happen, this would better me and my life would be easier. And if COVID would just go away, then it, it <laughs> right? Isn't it just, isn't it so easy to make it about me? But it's always about Jesus. This supper, this, this, this going to Calvary, God's plan there, it's, it's always about Jesus. It's always about Christ. This supper was about Jesus, and we'll try and catch some momentum here. There was a price, uh, there was an open price on his head. 
right? And without getting into too many other details of what's going on, because Jesus is teaching right around this time, the Olivet Discourse. We, he goes into the cleansing, the temple. Uh, he rebukes the authorities one last time. And I think to myself with this rubber band twisting and that tension, would this not have been a good time for the disciples to be building into Jesus? Right? To, to, to be encouraging Jesus to be supporting him. The Garden of Gethsemane was not the only time, right, that the humanity of Jesus needed spiritual prayer, prayer support. Right, oftentimes we just think of that. No, no, these men needed to have been gathering around Jesus. This would have been a good time, right? The, the fellowship of fellow believers, Jesus needed to be around people for what he was about to go through. And I just kept asking myself the question, why didn't one of these men do something right why didn't one of these men do something this woman got it and i just want to read there that verse verse three this woman got it this woman recognized who this supper was for then mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. This woman got it. The supper was about Christ. It's always about Christ. And we have to really keep ourselves in check with that. Even when we come to read Scripture, right? we have to remember that it's about Christ first. It's about coming before God, our worship, our prayer. Right? It's about Christ first. And yes, we all have very real feelings and emotions that are important. But if that gets out of balance, we create something that, that is, is not proper. This woman got it. So at this time, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. And we'll catch, catch another little bit of insight here. Matthew chapter 26 this would be another one of the synoptics or the ones, the, the three Gospels that are running in the same direction, right? Giving us the, the bigger picture of what's going on. Each one with a different personality. Each one, um, some of them we think of, of Luke and, and Mark interviewing people. John <laughs> thinking back um, 50, 60 years. It's fascinating how God has given us this, this word of God, this truth, these promises without error. Matthew chapter 26, and again, I'll just read there 13 verses, and I want you just to catch some observations, some little additions to this. It says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. So now you have a price on Jesus' head. I mean, this was a public thing. The, the public were, were given the command to report if, if Jesus was spotted, if the apostles were spotted. Now Jesus is saying, the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. This isn't just die. This is capital punishment, right? He'd be crucified. Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, and the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. Right? Just write Judas' name in there. Right? I mean, there, there was a plot started. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. 
And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, here we go, Simon the leper, a woman came to him, Mary, having an alabaster flask of very costly, fragrant oil. And she poured it on his head, Jesus' head, as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, here's a little addition for us. When the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Right, and that word indignant means they were greatly afflicted. I mean, they were worked up. They were really bothered by what Mary had just done. Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. Almost got to quiet ourselves for verse 10. You have a woman pouring her heart out before Jesus. A woman who's realizing that, that, that the supper's about Jesus. I mean, there's some spiritual intimacy going on. You have the disciples greatly afflicted by, by this woman's sacrifice. Right? I mean, I mean there, there's only one explanation. Satan had found his way into this room. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? Why do you trouble the woman? That word trouble comes with the idea of cutting her down. Cutting her down, diminishing her. Um, not just putting her down. Like I think that word cutting is stronger than just putting down. Why are you cutting this woman down? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. If you mark your Bibles, mark verse 13. Right now we're fulfilling prophecy. Right? And I can't imagine, I mean, this is like the, the tombstone um, message for this. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Isn't that a powerful verse? So we got a lot. Uh, Matthew, Matthew gives us a little bit more context as to what's going, excuse me, going on in this room. So why was Mary pouring this oil out? Why was Mary anointing? Why was Mary on her, her, her knees at Jesus' feet, wiping his feet with the hair? Well, the answer comes from the context here. The crucifixion of Christ had been announced to the apostles and those following him, right? They, they knew, they knew there was, there was a command out. Jesus here in verse 2, right, crucified, right? They, Jesus, it was not a secret. They knew this capital punishment well, right? And I don't think we have the full grasp because we don't see crucified bodies on the sides of the roads when we're driving through New Brunswick, but these people, the apostles and those following Jesus, saw it all the time, right, through the Roman provinces. These, the Romans wanted the public to look at the mutilated, tortured, suffocated bodies of criminals as an example and warning, right? Do not defy Rome. So when Jesus says there that the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified, they had that imagery. That adds to that tension that would have been in that room for that evening. That burial, that, that inevitable Jesus is going to die in this horrific way. We see that picture today. The statement 
I think to myself, even with Romans, that Caesar is God could not have been received very well, <laughs> right? I mean, the apostles knew Jesus is God. They, they watched him have power over creation, right? You think of the wind and the rain and the storms and the leprosy and the raising of the dead. I mean, they knew Jesus was God. And yet, Jesus says the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Kind of brings me back to that point. It's always about Jesus. Mary was beginning to piece things together. And when you think about Isaiah 53, and we know Jesus explained who he was from Old Testament passages, right? Psalm 22, we, we've been going through that in the study, and you open your scriptures to that text, and you listen to Jesus explaining to those that love him, the Son of Man will be delivered to be crucified. Isaiah 53, crucified. We see Mary piece those together, and her faith response is to anoint Jesus, is to, is to pour out her everything before her Savior, friend, Son of God. All right, so we, we're, we're beginning to understand why Mary was doing it. The woman, in verse 7, came to him in a, with an alabaster flask, a very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it out on his head, and he sat at the table. This wasn't just, just love and thankfulness. This was an understanding that Jesus was about to give his everything she poured it over his head and we remember it's always about christ john remembers her on her knees wiping and and massaging the oil into the feet of jesus with her hair we see the love tonight right we see the response like love brings an action we see the love we see the thankfulness not just for raising her brother from the grave but as she begins to realize that that her beloved king and friend is going to die in her place Mary understood there was more going on here. And that's when the word this week started coming to the surface, spiritual intimacy. Because right? there's a lot, there's a big difference between knowing who Jesus is, knowing what he did, and being spiritually intimate at the feet of Jesus. I want you to think of, uh, about Mary and her relationship with Jesus and this spiritual intimacy. Think with me on all the long talks that they would have had. The teaching, the time spent that she spent at the feet of Jesus, soaking in the Word of God. All these things lined up. I mean, we always find Mary at the feet of Jesus. Have you noticed that? It appears that she understood these things. She understood these sayings. It appears even when the apostles, and we've went through that, why didn't they understand? I mean, why, we don't understand that, but Mary appears that she understood these things, these sayings, and responded the only way that she knew how, and she surrendered everything. This woman did not lack one thing. I think I'm the, the, the rich young ruler. She did not lack one thing. She, all of her heart was placed at Jesus' feet. This childlike faith that we see, it looks like this. She believed. Childlike faith doesn't weigh the pros and cons. right? It doesn't look at the price tag. I mean, that 300 denarii is a, a year's wage. Right, probably the life savings, that savings, that childlike faith doesn't doesn't care about the price tag. It just Jesus, I believe in you, I love you, I'm giving you my everything. 
Last week it was do business till I come. This week with this woman's example of spiritual intimacy with Jesus. Surrounded by men who knew Jesus. I mean, they sat underneath his teaching for three and a half years, followed. I asked the question, why didn't one of these men do something? But I'll ask the question here in our study um, this afternoon, this morning, what have you. What does your love for Jesus look like? Because love, love responds. Love is seen. What does your love for Jesus look like? What, what does your thankfulness for Jesus look like? What does your worship look like? What does your spiritual intimacy with Christ move you to do? How does your spiritual intimacy at the feet of Jesus, and, and, and I trust and pray that, that you're in that place, you know what I'm talking about, how does it change the way you think? Because spiritual intimacy goes deeper than just knowing that it's true, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Spiritual intimacy is seen and it produces fruit. This woman understands that Jesus is the suffering servant and she's beginning to realize that the supper was about Christ. Just want you to be just creative in your mind. And allow yourself to picture that supper table and that oil being poured out on Jesus' head and Mary kneading it into his scalp. I don't think it was just a dump, dump on. This was, this was about Jesus. Jesus knew what that head, that mind of Jesus, right? And I say the humanity of Jesus. She knew what his mind and his thoughts and his emotions would go through over the next week. She knew what that head would endure. And we often focus so much on the physical crown of thorns piercing the flesh and the blood running down his face, but we forget all those tensions that he would have went through. All the stress that Jesus was sitting at that table. And I mean, I know what it's like to face you know, a meeting or, or something that's going on that you're not looking forward to. You know you have to go through it. I know that weight. I know that stress. I know that tension. Right? But Jesus here, the, the idea of choosing obedience, knowing, and I mean, he's reading it in Scripture and he knows what he's going to go through physically and he's choosing obedience over and over. God, I love you. Father, I love you. I'm going to obey your commandments. I love him. Think of that Psalm 116, that cords of death, right? Tightening. Right, the distresses of the grave tightening. Jesus was fully human, right? He had to learn obedience. He was going through that. Jesus, or Mary, was understanding what Jesus was going through. Jesus knew the apostles would fail. Jesus knew the apostles would run. Jesus knew the apostles would be in anguish and turmoil themselves, emotional distress. Do you not think that that would have weighed on the, on the great shepherd's mind and heart? Right? The, 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 the tension, the weight. For Jesus himself, the trials. And I mean, it, when you sit down and you list how much weight Jesus carried on his humanity before the cross. The trials. Six trials. Right? The futility of, of not being listened to. I mean, they had no intention of listening to Jesus. And we know, and we'll get there, where Jesus is like, no, I'm not going to say anything. You have no defense for yourself? No. 
You're not, you're not going to listen. We know what that's like, the taunting, the mocking, the scorning, the loneliness that he was enduring. I mean, even as he sat at this meal, it would have been, you don't know what I'm going to go through. You don't know what I'm going through. The full knowledge of what's coming next. And I thought to myself, even in the midst of, of everything that's the end of the world in, in our reality, in our time, it puts my whining and complaining in context, doesn't it? It's always about Jesus. And as Mary is, 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 is massaging his, his head, as Mary needed that oil into Jesus' scalp, as we would in our headaches looking for relief from pressure, see this woman's heart as she begins to understand what her Jesus was going through now and would go through on her behalf. He went through it so that we do not have to. This woman was not the least worried about the cost of money. Her king was about to suffer and die in her place so that she could receive her promise. As we begin to realize that those hands that probably touched her as she was, she was massaging the feet, those hands would be in short time pierced through with nails to an old rugged cross. Can you hear this woman's heart through her actions this, this morning saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The feet that she wiped with her hair would stagger and stumble up that street towards Calvary, right? And we'll get there. But I mean, that's, that, that's a, an important part that, uh, for the joy that was set before him, for you and for me, those of us that have placed our faith in Christ, the agony and pain that he would endure. Can you see Mary on her knees wiping his feet saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yet it's amazing how two different groups can have the same situation before them. Right? The same truth presented, read the same verses from Scripture, listen to the same messages, and yet come to two different conclusions and responses. Turn very quickly to Mark chapter 14. And just, just one, one word that really I, I want to grasp here, and this would be the, the third parallel for this. Mark chapter 14 just beginning in, in verse 5. No, we'll start in verse 4. <laughs> but there were some who were indignant, greatly afflicted among themselves, and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? This woman is pouring out her heart. Right? She, the spiritual intimacy. I mean, she, she, is, she is understanding and, and, and having that special moment with Jesus there. And they use words like wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And what did they do? They criticized her. I really hope that she didn't hear them. But we know who's in the room. These apostles were believers. And yet we see criticism when spiritual intimacy is being displayed before them. It's just, it's just a, a, here we have the disciples. They had traveled for three and a half years. The constant teaching, the listening, will draw the, the application from this. The, the classes, the pew sitting and the church services, Sunday after Sunday, these guys believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. They had faith. They had been given power to do miracles. They taught Sunday school, Bible study groups, given money to missions, um, made sacrifices. These believers knew who Jesus was. 
I mean, they were getting, was it surround sound or, or, or surround audio with the red letters, right? As Jesus spoke, they were there. But in the quietness of an evening before the Lord's Day, we begin to see very quickly that they knew in their heads, but there was an intimacy with Jesus missing in their hearts. They'd learn it. I mean, I want, us, I want us to continue to show these guys grace. I mean, they would learn it. I mean, we, we've all said and done things in high-tension situations. Small deals very quickly grow to big deals. But they did, not, they did not understand or they could not see the spiritual intimacy that was taking place between this woman on her knees massaging Jesus' feet and her Savior. Jesus was going to be crucified and as awkward as the moments following Jesus making that statement should have been, pardon me, would have been, as awkward as those moments following Jesus making that statement, as awkward as it would have been, someone should have done something for him. Right? Someone should have done something encouraging, um, supporting, not criticizing a woman. And, 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 and again, show them grace because I think many of us can relate with that a woman is on her knees having surrendered and poured out her everything obedience love thankfulness worship and that to these men becomes offensive angering and a waste Satan was not just working on Judas here can we see how quickly we can make this Christian life thing about me how we can forget that, that it's always about Christ. This supper was about Christ. The things of this church are about Christ. The life, the time that we've been blessed with, the, the ministries, the, the, the workplace, our, our commission that we've given, given there, it's always about Christ. And we'll wind down with this. Verse 10, but when Jesus was aware of it. What is the it? Right? And I, I don't want to answer. I want you to spend some time thinking this on your own. What was it that these men were missing? The blindness, the immaturity, the missing motives, the relational shepherding heart. Jesus says, why do you trouble the woman? Why are you cutting her down? Why are you cutting her apart in this special moment? Why are you putting the woman down when she's at the feet of her Savior? Why are you trying to diminish what God is doing in her heart for what you think she should do? Why are you, why are you even part of this equation with, with your opinions as to what you would do? This woman has done a good work for me. She has done what she could These men had a lot to learn about spiritual intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ, didn't they? They had a lot to learn about spiritual intimacy. Loving Christ is not just about doing. The disciples understood doing. I mean, they've had three years' experience now. This was about looking to Jesus. This is about loving Jesus in that intimate way. Finding yourself at the feet of Jesus beginning to understand what he went through, thinking through, and that's where the thankfulness rises out of this. That's where you find yourself at his feet saying, thank you, thank you. It's always about intimately knowing Jesus. 
So just with closing application, Jesus was aware that they were oblivious to what was taking place. Right? They, they were oblivious to what was taking place. They were missing the spiritual intimacy. And I thought to myself, even just in that quick overview, we can't be missing the faith moments that God has given us. Those intimate faith moments because our faith is going to be tested. Right? It, it's promised to us. We can't miss spiritual intimacy because we treat this Christian life like a job. Right? We, can, we can do till we're blue in the face and feel good doing it, but unless, unless we're experiencing that spiritual fellowship, unless we're at the feet of Jesus, it's just doing. Doing, serving does not come before spiritual intimacy with Christ. You can know and do a whole lot and not know him. And that's our Proverbs chapter 30, verse 2, about missing the knowledge of the Holy One. Lastly, in verse 13, and uh, maybe I close this Bible, but verse 13, this memorial, I mean, that just captured me this week. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. I encourage you to meditate on that verse. Go back through. This is Jesus speaking about something that this woman did. Mary had a heart that listened, a heart that searched, like Luke chapter 10 is, is where you first introduced to her. Mary had a heart that listened, a heart that searched. Mary had that one thing that was needed, and she learned it all at the feet of Jesus. She learned it all at the feet of Jesus. So I ask that question one more time. What does your spiritual intimacy with Christ look like? Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time. Lord, these, these scriptures are alive. Lord, I'm so thankful that, that, that we can understand these truths. And I'm so thankful that, that we have this memorial of this woman who got it. I pray for us. Lord, I pray in the midst of, of life habits, routines, comfort zones, complacency. Lord, there are so many things, and you know we're human, that keep us, keep us from being at your feet. Keep us from experiencing that spiritual intimacy that, <laughs> that there, there's so much joy in it. There's so much energy that comes from it. There, there's so much miraculous things when we see your hand at work, Lord. Pray that you would awaken us to it. Pray that you would de develop that hunger in us to just to pursue it. Lord, and I pray, and, and we were reflecting on this last night just upstairs, Lord, that you are doing miracles in this church, doing miracles in this community, and, and, and we see it, and we're thankful to be part of it, Lord, and, and we know it's, it's preparing us for, for the testing moments, but we, we praise you for it right now. Lord, I pray that you would continue and that we would just, well, we would be found faithful at your appearing. Thank you for this time. Thank you for technology. Thank you for, for you and your spirit. Thank you for your word. Just pray these things in your precious name.